If you guys would welcome Pastor Andy. Andy is doing us a great favor this morning because, as you know from last week, Michael's grandmother died. And so he was there, and so he texted us this week, and he said he had an amazing opportunity to go to church with his parents, his siblings, and some of their grand, and with Michael's kids and some of the other kids, so with grandchildren. And so to bless his family, he is staying up there and going to church today. And if you want to talk about a great blessing, Pastor Andy got a phone call this week and said, hey, what are you doing on Sunday morning? <laughs> and he said he would come and pre- preach for us. So please welcome Pastor Andy. That's what friends are for, right? Especially friends who are pastors whose service meets at 3 p.m. on a Sunday. Special friends like that. Um, If you have a Bible, would you take it and turn to Matthew chapter 6? I'm thankful that uh, the elders always welcome me here. You all always welcome me. Michael's welcomed me to come and to preach and... um, and also welcomed me into the middle of a sermon series, um, which is not something that I typically would do, is give someone a, a sermon out of a sermon series I'm in. So um, I'm especially humbled by that. But uh, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6, verses uh, 1 through 4 this morning. But we're also going to look at the wider context. So Matthew 6 begins a new sort of section, you might say, of the Sermon on the Mount. And so we're going to think about Matthew 6, 1 through 21 a little bit as well, get a big picture for that, and then get down into verses 1 through 4. So just so you know, we're going to get a big picture for probably half the sermon, and then we'll be in 1 through 4 for the other half. Uh, There's a philosophical question that goes something like this. If a tree falls in a forest and nobody is around to hear it, does it still make a sound? Well, no need to devote your life to finding the answer to that. But it's, it's interesting to think about a little bit. Uh, we might adapt that question to help us understand a little bit about what Jesus is trying to say here in Matthew 6, verses 1 through 21, as he expands on the meaning of the, the greater righteousness of the kingdom. That's a big theme of the Sermon on the Mount. So we could ask, maybe not philosophically, but maybe a little cynically, uh, if I perform a righteous deed and nobody sees it, Does it really matter? Uh, If I give to the poor and nobody notices, was it worth it? If I pray and I don't tell anyone, was I wasting my time? If I fast and keep it hidden and no one knows that I was fasting, then was I just hungry for no good reason? Uh, I don't think many of us would ask those kind of questions out loud. Um, They're a bit too revealing probably of our hearts, but whether consciously or subconsciously, questions like these are often under the surface of our religious practices because the temptation to turn our acts of righteousness into ways to impress others or or actions that that are done to draw attention to ourselves, actions done to receive praise from people, that that temptation is always present. Uh, Whether we like it, Uh, about ourselves or not, we often want to perform our righteous deeds for other people to see us. Now, we could respond to that reality uh, by arguing that uh, that attitude is no big deal, that if we do the right thing, even if it's from wrong motives, it's still the right thing to do. Uh, Money given to the needy is still money given to the needy, and, and so on. And there is actually, there's probably some truth to that. The reality is that because of remaining sin in us, it's hard to imagine that even our best acts are not stained with sin and selfishness and and pride. So we shouldn't wait until our motives are completely pure before we do anything. And yet, there's also a legitimate hope that we who are Christ's, through the power of the Spirit, 
that we might wean ourselves from this desire for the praise of others. We have to trust that that's possible because the, greatest, the greater righteousness of the kingdom that Jesus is calling us to in the, here, here in the Sermon on the Mount is never focused simply on outward actions, but it's always focused on our hearts and, and our motives. If we're going to walk in the ways of Jesus, then our hearts have to be in line with the heart of Jesus. Jesus who sought to do all things for the glory of the Father alone. It can't just be about our outward actions. It has to be about our heart. So you all have been walking through the, the Sermon on the Mount, and, and you can see in the previous chapter that Jesus makes it clear that, the, the, that Jesus makes it clear his desire that we would have this greater righteousness, greater than the, the scribes and the Pharisees who focused, remember, just on outward actions. He wants us to be whole and complete in our devotion to him, which means we have to be concerned about our hearts and we have to be concerned about our motives in our righteousness. And so he says here, if, if we are his followers, if, your personal, if in your personal righteousness, seek the praise and glory of God more than you crave the applause of people. I'd say that just as a big idea for verses one through 21. If in your personal righteousness, seek the praise and glory of God more than you crave the applause of people. I'll say it one more time because it's kind of long, right? And that we're just going to meditate on that. If you, in your personal righteousness, seek the praise and glory of God more than you crave the applause of people. Matthew 6, 1 states the, the call of these uh, first 21 verses of chapter 6 pretty clearly. Matthew 6, 1 says, Beware of pra- practicing your righteousness before other people. Why? In order to be seen by them but then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. There's a, there's a warning in that verse. It's very clear, a warning not to, uh, to not settle for pious, virtuous acts done with selfish motives. A warning against being like the Pharisees who loved the praises of men and women more than the praises of God. A warning to search our hearts as we practice our, our righteousness. And along with that warning is this call to seek for something to seek for the greater reward that the Father offers us, which, which must be found in, in the joy. It has to include this, this joy that's found in living our lives as he intended, namely living our lives for his glory alone. And this reward and the, the satisfaction that's found uh, when our only goal is the glory of God rather than our own selfish motives, it has to, it's going to be greater than the praises that we receive from others by practicing our righteousness and, and seek before them for their applause. So the way that I'm summing up that, that warning and that invitation is in your personal righteousness, seek the praise and glory of God more than you crave the applause of people. So we're going to think this morning about how that applies to giving to the poor in verses 1 through 4. But also, let me give you three notes about this, this section from verses 1 through uh, 21. The first has to do with the context of these verses, meaning the, the surrounding verses, and specifically the way the context talks about Righteousness. So if you're, if you're taking notes, you might, you know, these notes, the first one would be the context of righteousness, the, the context of righteousness that, that Jesus is talking about. Because the righteousness spoken of here in chapter 6 is a little bit different than the righteousness that's talked about in chapter 5, which is why I want to call it personal righteousness. Matthew 5, 21 through 48 focus on, focuses on righteousness in terms of what we might call morality. Jesus was correcting the teaching of the scribes 
and the Pharisees, and he helped them specifically to see what the righteousness of the kingdom looks like when we interact and react to other people in our lives. But Matthew 6, 1 through 21 focuses on righteousness in terms of, of piety, of, in terms of what we call religious devotion. Often what we think about when we think about righteousness, these things that we do of private devotion, it's more about personal and private acts of commitment to God. And it focuses, as you look through, on almsgiving, giving to the poor, prayer, and fasting, those, those three things. The, the principle is not limited to those acts. It applies to all personal devotion to Christ. And so the warning and, and the instruction that goes over the whole passage is that in your personal righteousness, you've got to seek the praises of God, not the applause of people. So whether it's prayer or, or study of the scriptures or silence and solitude or any other personal righteousness, we do these things for the glory of God, not for the praise of other people. So that's the context of those sort of different righteousnesses that Jesus is talking about. Next, just look at the structure of this. Uh, the structure uh, of this new section of the Sermon on the Mount from verses 1 through 21. Um, if, you, if we read through Matthew 6, 1 through 21, you would see it. It's, it's really clear because Jesus is a master teacher saying profound things in simple and accessible ways, which is maybe what you wish I was doing a little bit better sometimes. But uh, he's, I'm not Jesus, obviously. But y- you can see that each instruction begins with the words, when you practice your righteousness, don't do it in this way. That's the, he says that each time. Uh, namely, don't do it like a hypocrite. And then that's followed by the instruction, but when you do practice your righteousness, do it in this new kingdom way that is secret and therefore results in the full reward of the Father. That's the pattern that he has. Uh, it's, the instruction is similar for giving to the poor in verses two through four. It's similar for prayer in verses five through 15. It's similar for fasting in verses 16 through 18. Verse one sort of introduces it, and then there's a sort of a conclusion in verses 19 through 21. Um, that bridges to the next section. And as you, you look ahead, you'll notice that the center instruction is about prayer. And it's unique because it actually breaks the pattern of Jesus. It's, it's different and it, because it includes the, the Lord's Prayer. And just a note, as you're studying the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord's Prayer then becomes the structural center, not only of this passage, verses 1 through 21, but the Lord's Prayer is the center of the entire Sermon on the Mount. It's as if Jesus is building towards it and then building from it the whole time. It's pretty amazing. So we've noted the, the context of righteousness. We've looked at the structure. And finally, just an overarching question as we're thinking about the whole Sermon on the Mount. And it's a question about this call to, to secrecy, this call to not do your righteousness before others. Because we need to go back to chapter 5, verses 14 through 16 and see that Jesus tells us that we're to shine like a, a city on a hill meaning that people would see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. But then in this whole section, he's telling us to beware of practicing our righteousness before others. Remember those verses in chapter 5? You are the light of the world. You're a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. A, A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So my question is, is Jesus contradicting himself? This call to secret righteousness, it seems a little different, right? Is he telling us to hide our light under a bushel? Shouldn't I give to the poor? Shouldn't I pray? Shouldn't I fast in a way that draws attention to myself? Why? So that 
others would glorify God? I think that's actually probably the key to understanding this apparent contradiction in, in the instructions because in both, what's the desire ultimately? It's the glory of God. The glory of God is the ultimate desire in both instances. That's the goal. The result of, of both shining like a city on a hill and the result of secret devotion is the glory of God. In Matthew 5.16, why do we shine our lights before others? So that they may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. And here in Matthew 6, secret righteousness leads to the glory of God. So the truth I think that Jesus is communicating here is that moral righteousness, chapter 5, done before others, lends itself to bringing glory to the Father. While the righteousness of religious devotion done before others leads to pride and misdirected praise. So do you see the difference? This righteousness of chapter five done before others leads to people glorifying God. But if our personal righteousness, if we do that before others, it doesn't lead to praise, it leads to pride. Acting in love for all people, refraining from revenge, what's described in chapter five, done in the public sphere is glorifying to God. It's done so that people look and they say there's something different about them as compared to everyone else. They're unique, and therefore it leads to the, the glory of God. And we, and we could also say about chapter 5 that it has to do usually with reacting to the things that are done to us. We're already in the public sphere in chapter 5. We're not going out of our way to make ourselves seen by other people, but we're in a place where we're already being observed. And so when we respond in a uniquely Christian way to persecution or to ridicule and the like, then God is glorified. But in contrast, here in chapter six, as we look at it, to give and to pray and to fast in a way that would be seen by others is going to require some kind of, of effort. <laughs> we're gonna have to try to get other people to see what we're doing and know what we're doing. That we would need to find a way for people to notice our acts of piety. And when we seek for others to see our acts of, of private devotion, we inevitably turn our hearts to crave the applause of people more than the glory of God. We want a, a reward from others that, rather than the reward that is the glory of God alone. And so this call of the passage comes out again. In your personal righteousness, seek the praise and glory of God more than you crave the applause of people. This is the teaching of Jesus, but it's also how Jesus lived, isn't it? He often prayed in secret. Even when he gave good gifts of healing to the poor, he was concerned most about the glory of God and that people would look to the Father first. He often told them not to tell anyone. He's not pointing us down a path then. Jesus isn't saying, you go there. But as Jesus always does in his instruction, he stands at the end of the path and he says, come, follow me. Live like I lived. All that's introduction. <laughs> That's a, a big picture of Matthew 6, 1 through 21, which is just such a beautiful, I mean, the whole Sermon on the Mount is breathtaking, but to see what Jesus is doing is amazing. So let's read Matthew 6, 1 through 4, and I think we'll even see it more clearly what he's accomplishing, um, and then we'll seek to apply all of this to the act of giving to the poor. Matthew 6, 1 through 4, this is what God's word says. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people, in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, 
Sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Giving, specifically giving to the poor, was a key part of righteousness for the Jewish people. In Deuteronomy 15, 11, maybe the clearest command to that end, it says, for there will never cease to be poor in the land, therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. Giving to the poor was a, a hallmark of the early church as well, and here Jesus seems to assume that his followers are also going to be those who give to the poor and to the needy. He doesn't say, if you give to the poor, does he? What's he say? When you give to the poor, it's assumed it will happen. So the focus of the passage is not on whether or not we should give to the poor, or how much we should give to the needy, but on what our heart motivation behind giving to the needy is. What's the motive behind our giving to the poor? That can be hard to discern. It's hard to know our own hearts. And John Stott here is helpful. He gives this assessment. He says, there are three possibilities as we're thinking about our heart and giving to the poor. Three possibilities. Either we're seeking the praise of men or we preserve our anonymity. We, we do it secretly, but we are quietly congratulating ourselves. <laughs> or we are desirous of the divine approval of our Father alone. So when we give, we seek the praise of others, we praise ourselves, or we seek the approval of the Father. So let's use that to assess our motives in giving to the poor and see how that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. The first question we ask in this passage is, are we seeking the praise of others? As you're giving to the poor, are we seeking the praise of others? It's this first motiv motivation that Jesus addresses in verse two when he tells us not to be like the hypocrites. Hypocrite was the word for an actor. And Jesus says of the Pharisees that they were actors in their outward giving, in that their outward giving was not in agreement with the inward truth of who they, who they were. They were playing a part. I think the Oscars are this evening, is that correct? Awards given in categories like best actor or best actress. And of course, when we watch a movie or a TV show, we know that an actor is, is not the person that they're pretending to be. It's understood that we will, we will suspend belief for a moment uh, while we watch them. We're going to, we, we don't really believe that they have superhuman powers, but we'll believe it in the moment. We don't really believe that they're actually a doctor, but we will believe it because they are in this, this movie. But the acting of the Pharisees and of everyone who gives to the poor in order to be seen by others is different in that its goal is not entertainment, is it? It's deception. An actor on TV doesn't play a part so that we will think that they truly are the person that they're pretending to be. But a religious hypocrite does. When we are hypocrites, we act in a way that we want people to actually believe that that's who we are when it really is not. And like like them, like hypocrites, we often want people to think that we are one thing, that we are generous or that we're caring or that we are truly concerned for the needy when in actuality our hearts are focused primarily on receiving praise from others for what we've done. Our greatest care is, is not for them, but it's for ourselves and it's for the praise that we might receive for what we've done. 
This illustration of acting helps us get to another layer of our motivation for giving. Uh, actors perform for an audience in order to receive their praise, and religious actors also do what they do in order to receive the applause of men and women. And so we're told that they would sound a trumpet before they gave. That could have been literal. Uh, maybe a call for the poor to come and receive the gifts that were being offered to them, or it could be a metaphor. Either way, it's kind of comical when you picture it, and it exposes the, the self-centered desire to be seen and to be applauded uh, by others. Imagine in the ancient world, you're walking down the street, and suddenly you hear a, a loud trumpet followed by someone saying, uh, hey, everybody, come to the town square. I'm about to be really generous, and you don't want to miss it. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> During the height of the pandemic, it was interesting to watch how some actors and talk show hosts who were accustomed to an audience's approval uh, deal with the fact that they had to perform for a camera and no audience. I heard some that were pretty honest about how they were craving this attention that they usually had, um, and their families were a little bit annoyed at all of their attention-seeking. <laughs> and we can relate. We can relate because there's a bit of that in all of us, a desire to be recognized for what we do, a desire to be applauded, and therefore there's this temptation to, temptation to sound a trumpet before we give. Our culture plays into that desire, doesn't it? There are so many opportunity, uh, opportunities for us to toot our own horn, <laughs> to be recognized for our generosity. Maybe it's having our name listed uh, somewhere as a donor. Maybe it could be a, a post on social media that draws attention to the fact that we have given. There's a fine line between raising awareness for something, raising awareness for a cause, and raising awareness for our righteousness. Just, you know, a little selfie here, or a, a humble brag there, a few passing comments in the church foyer, and suddenly we find ourselves seeking the praise of others more than the praise of God. And if we do that, then Jesus tells us that the praise we get from others, that's all the reward that we will get. So what does all this mean? <laughs> Should we only give cash so that our giving can't be traced back to us? Should our giving always be anonymous? Should we not report our charitable contributions on our taxes? I think if you start drawing applications like that, then you're falling into the legalistic trap that the gospel frees us from and we forget that Jesus is, again, after our hearts. He's not giving us rules like that. His teaching here is meant to help us see that however we give, whatever we end up doing, we must look for the glory of God as our sole goal, the reward that, that he will give us, that that's what we're seeking for, not the praise of other people. So we just have to ask our hearts if we are seeking the praise of others in our giving. If we are if we, and if we are, then we have to find practical means of heart transformation by the Spirit that keep us from those kind of motives, from that, that seeking praise of others. Of course, we may find that, that keeping our secret, we can keep our giving secret, uh, and we avoid the praise of others, but then we find ourselves praising ourselves. <laughs> and so the second question is, are we slipping into self-adoration? Are we slipping into self-adoration? The first was, are we seeking the praise of others? The second, are we slipping into self-adoration? This is the point of Jesus' command in verse 3, to not let our left hand know what our right hand is doing. Um, it's, it's not as if our hands have separate eyes and minds, right? It's, but this is a, an illustration of self-forgetfulness. Jesus wants us to give in a way 
that is, is turned away from pride. No one knows who the actual identity of the street artist uh, Banksy is. I don't know if you've ever seen this guy, but his art shows up on walls and, and bridges, after which he acknowledges online that they were his, but he keeps his identity hidden. And one of his paintings called Balloon Girl was being sold at an auction for over a million pounds. Uh, but Banksy was against the selling of his artwork. And so he had fitted the frame of this picture with a remote-controlled shredder. And so moments after this auction ends, Banksy is there secretly, no one knows who he is, and he remotely activates this shredder so that the painting starts to go down through and begins to shred. Only problem is, it stalls out halfway through the bottom of the paint. And so it's sitting there in ribbons with half the painting still intact and the rest in ribbons. And ironically, in trying to destroy it, he made it more valuable. <laughs> I, I mentioned that. It's a great story. It's really interesting. You should check it out. But I also mentioned it because I, I wonder if in all of his shunning of, of money-making and popularity-seeking and, and getting rid of that part of the art industry, I wonder if he has turned from receiving the applause of others to applauding himself. I can't speak to his motives or his mindset, but if he's anything like me... <laughs> then that would be a temptation. As I, as I would stand in that auction hall and hit that shredder, I would think about how amazing I am. And in a similar way, we could reject the applause of men and women for our, for our giving to the poor while also silently patting ourselves on the back. Maybe we, we give to help another and we, we even keep it anonymous, but then we are tempted to, to play out our generosity over and over and over again in our minds. On the surface, we look like we have avoided the reward of praise from others, but instead we've just substituted for praise for ourselves. Stott, again, is helpful. He says, Christian giving is to be marked by self-sacrifice and self-forgetfulness, not by self-congratulation. That's Christian giving. Self-sacrifice, self-forgetfulness, not self-congratulation. We are reminded in all of this how deceptive and wicked our hearts can be, aren't we? Uh, the seeking of praise from others and praising ourselves, that they're hard to completely avoid. And even when we do our best, sometimes they're going to land on our doorsteps. But by God's grace and through his indwelling spirit uh, in those of us who hope in Christ, it's possible to find that our primary motive in giving to the needy is actually the glory of God. And so the third question we would ask is, are we seeking the approval and glory of the Father? In giving to the poor, are we seeking the approval and the glory of the Father? If we are new creations in Christ Jesus, that's our goal. The glory of God is at the heart of our faith. The gospel is, is centered on the glory of God. We're not saved through what we do, whether it be our charitable giving or any other righteousness that we might offer up to God. Because all of our righteousness we know is like filthy rags. We are sinners. We're unable to earn salvation. And therefore God in his love has sent his son to live a life devoted to the glory of the Father and to die for we who have robbed our creator of the glory that is his. And through faith in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, that's how we're made right with God. We're justified. We, we are made new by his spirit so that our desire is to see him and him alone glorified in our lives. Jesus frees us from the prison of seeking glory from others or from ourselves. But how do we do this? How, how do we avoid seeking the praise of others 
And how do we avoid praising ourselves so that God alone might receive the praise? Well, we've actually, we've said it a number of ways that you could have missed it because the answer is deceptively simple. How do you avoid it? You give secretly. <laughs> That's what Jesus says, you give secretly. If we can remain anonymous in giving to the poor, we do. And while we, we don't give mindlessly, we give with a self-forgetfulness. We refrain from letting people know what we have given, and we strive to not remind ourselves of what we have given. We're to be like those in Matthew 25. Think about those in Matthew 25 who are praised. They were generous, and they had been generous so often that they seemed unable to recall their generosity on Judgment Day. Do you remember that? The Lord says, you did all these good things. And they're like, well, when did we do that? <laughs> That's true righteousness. They had done it. They had done it not for their own praise. They had done it for the glory of God alone. And when we do that, what does Jesus tell us? That's when we get the real reward. That's when we receive the reward of the Father. And what is that reward? Great question. I don't know. Uh, what is the reward? I think it is a little hard to figure out, but uh, we think about, in our culture, about rewards. We think about trophies. We think about medals or giant cardboard checks. That's what we really want, right? Uh, but it's hard to say what this reward is, is speaking of. It could be the blessedness of giving. Doesn't Jesus talk about the blessedness of giving? Couldn't that be the reward? Jesus tells us what? That it's more blessed to give than to receive? So the act of selfless, selflessly giving carries its own reward. Tied to that, the reward could be the, the satisfaction of the love that's offered. The satisfaction of the love that's offered. To know that we have helped someone in need. And to see the difference that our generosity has made in their life. That's a beautiful thing. Isn't that a reward in and of itself? It's, it doesn't need, us to, need to make us swell with pride. But by God's grace, we could be humbled by the way that, that God has blessed us with all things and then allowed us to be a blessing. Isn't that a reward in and of itself? I don't need the praise of others if I can have the satisfaction of the love that I've offered to someone else. Well, those are decent answers, but I think they, that all of this seems to get at the heart that the reward of the Father is, is the glory of God. What is the reward? It's that God is glorified. The reward is the glory of God. Psalm 48, 40 verse 8 says, I delight to do your will, O God. And Jesus spoke of the will of the Father as his food. It's what satisfied him. And we were created for the glory of God. We are filled with the reward of joy and satisfaction and delight when we act with generosity as God would have us to. And when that generosity resounds to the glory of the Father, it fills us with happiness because the glory of God, and for children of God, is actually the thing that we want more than anything else. I want God's glory more than anything else. Isn't this amazing? Isn't it amazing that our hearts are tempted to seek praise for ourselves, whether from others or even from ourselves? And that's the reward that we're looking for. But Jesus says the reward that you actually want is for me to be glorified. It feels almost, it feels almost ironic. It's amazing to me that, that in denying God glory by selfishly giving, we're actually missing the reward that comes from glorifying the Father, which is what we're made to do. And so I would say this, brothers and sisters, let us give generously to the poor. Not for the praise of others, not for our own ego's sake, but 
for God's glory alone. And know that this kind of secret giving will bring us the joy that we have been made for. This week as the, as the Spirit leads, listen, look for opportunities to, to bless those in need. Look for ways to do it secretly. And then next week we can all get together and talk about all the people that we gave money to, right? No, of course not. That's not what, what we do. We, we give graciously, though, as Christ has given to us, and we give secretly, filled with desire, uh, this desire to see God alone glorified. And remember, in doing this, we are followers of Jesus. We're doing what Jesus did. Jesus, who did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many, and to give his life for the glory of God and for the good of his people for the salvation of his people. Isn't that what we celebrate when we celebrate the Lord's Supper? We're celebrating the fact that Jesus came to give of himself for the glory of God alone and for our good. What more humbling thing could we think of than Jesus on the cross, stripped naked, bleeding and dying for us? There was no pride in that. Jesus in that moment was not glorified. No one was looking at him and, and praising him. But now we do. Now we look at Christ and we see the broken body and we see the shed blood and we know that that is a beautiful picture of the glory of God because it's him laying down his life, sacrificing himself so that we could be saved.